Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. And so the verse that we're looking at today, we're going to head right into the message, is Matthew 5, 8. It said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. For they will see God. Uh, when you think of the word pure in Scripture, often a lot of times the things that our minds lead straight to is this word abstinence or sobriety or clean living or living a sinless life, right? Well, those are all kind of external things. Those are not really what Jesus is talking about in that moment. In this moment, what Jesus is talking about is this internal purity, this position of our heart. And like many times in Scripture, God is looking at our hearts and not our works, not what we do, and nothing else. And so today I hope to give a little bit of insight of how to get there. Uh, if I'm being honest, pure in heart is a hard thing for me to teach. Uh, if you ask my family, they know that I'm a mess. They know that I am not a perfect person in progress. I am an imperfect person in progress. But if you ask anyone, too, who knows me well, you, you, they would also hear, you would hear them say that, Above anything, he loves God. Above anything, he wants that. And so this is, in my own journey, how I found ways to seek a pure heart, to learn what it's like to live this life. And so before we get into all the um, teaching, uh, we want you to know about two words, these two words. The first one is this word pure. And so there's a Greek word for this word, and it's katharos. It means to be clean and blameless, and it means basically you're unstained from guilt. Uh, through my time at camp, I hear a lot of weird statements. I hear a lot of weird things from youth in general. And so at Central Youth, we've made the decision to uh, have a note filled with weird quotes that students say. Weird things completely out of context. And so I'm going to share some of those quotes with you guys. I have them right here. Uh, one student said, I'll make meat that tastes better than meat. Another student said, my blood tastes like iron. One said, I had to bathe for 30 minutes to get my nails this clean. One said, it feels bad, but my brain says, keep doing it. And last one student, she said, is your tongue throbbing? Mine does that when I can't breathe. Out of context, you would not understand this, right? Uh, but our students, they're kind of weird, but all kids are, let's be honest. Uh, in context, I'll make meat that tastes better than meat. I asked a student, hey. If you, if you became a billionaire, but the only way you could be a billionaire is if you became vegan, would you do it? And he said, yes, I'd have so much money that I'd just make meat that tastes better than meat. So he had this idea. He was like, I can do it. Uh, Jonathan Vargas, our boy up here in the front, he's the one who said, my blood tastes like iron. And he was got a cut. And for some reason, he decided to taste it. You've probably done it before, so it's not that weird. But what is weird about Jonathan? Uh, one day, we were going to Starbucks. We had some time to kill before youth ministry. And so I'm making a turn, and I hear this statement come out of Jonathan's mouth. says, I can't believe people throw these away. And he gets the wrapper from a straw and eats it and chews on it and swallows it. These are the things that our youth does. Oh, Man, if I always say, man, I have hope for these kids. I know they're, they're going to. But when things like that happen, I go, what? <laughs> Are you serious? 
in context, um, Sean, I feel bad. It feels bad, but my brain keeps saying do it. He's talking about those, I forget what they're called, but they're the square batteries that, and you lick them. He says, it feels bad, but my brain says keep doing it. You've done it. So don't judge Sean, okay? You've done it. I've done it. If you haven't, we'll get you one. We have some for the microphones. Um, just kidding. We don't do that here. It's weird. It's weird. Uh, and one of the students said that they couldn't breathe. They're like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And they're like talking and doing all this stuff. And then she said, is your tongue throbbing? Mine does that when I can't breathe. Um, but it was just like, a, obviously, you're breathing. You're talking. You're panicking. You're able to run around. You're doing just fine. Um, but these are the things that students say. Uh, one thing that makes sense is this one. Uh, I was walking past a cabin. Okay, I'm headed to go to one of our um, sessions or, or just to hang out with the students. And I hear a student singing a song. It was a weird song. And if you know it and it's a bad one, I'm sorry. But um, I only heard this part of it. But he starts singing and he says, treat me like a white tea. Don't get me dirty. And I was like, what is he saying? But how many of you guys ever tried to wear white? You know, you stay clear away from things, right? You're not going to eat spaghetti. You're not going to uh, have your coffee so close to you. You're going to go like this. You're like, you got your white on. And it's the one time that you ask your friend, do you have a Tide to go pen? Um, but you try to keep that thing clean, right? That white tea, you want it to be pure. And so in the same way, I know it's funny and I know it's a little silly, but in the same way, that's how we have to pursue this reality of a pure heart, is that we got to do things. We have to avoid some things. We have to stay clear of things. We have to be safe in the way of knowing what it means to be unstained from guilt, unstained from shame and all those things. And the second word is this word heart. Pure in heart. And so the word that is in Greek is this word cardia. And all it means is the physical heart. But it's also talking about the spiritual center of life. Essentially, the meaning of life, where our thoughts, our desires, our sense of purpose, understanding, and our character reside. This is the thing that makes you get out of bed. This is the thing that you wake up and you say, thank you, God, for another day. This is the heart that we're looking at. It's inward and so pure in heart. And so the ultimate prize of living a life that is pure in heart is that you get to see God. And isn't that a wonderful truth? But for some of us, we think, oh, we have to wait to get there. But there's one thing that you need to know is that to see God has both a present and a future aspect to it. Seeing God has a present aspect means three things. The first one is that believers will see God in creation. In Psalms 19, David said that the heavens declare the glory of God and they daily pour forth speech about him. He also talks about this moment where he encounters God in the thunderstorm. It says the Lord shouts strikes with flaming fire. The Lord shouts shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The Lord shout bends the large trees and strips the leaves from the forest. Everyone in his temple says majestic. The Lord sits enthroned over the engulfing waters. The Lord sits enthroned as the eternal king. I remember two moments clearly in my life where I seen God in creation. The first was uh, probably in 2015. I was graduating from college. Um, what my parents don't really know about this story is uh, I asked them, hey, for my graduation present, can you just send me to New York? I'm going to go to New York, and then uh, I'm going to go down to Washington, D.C., and then I'm going to go to Montana to visit my friend Nick. 
But really what I was doing in my mind was I was trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do with my life. I had no sure, clear path. It was just this moment of like, there's two people. There's people who got it all together after college, and there's people who are unsure of what God's going to do or unsure of who they are. I was unsure of who I was. I didn't know what God had planned for me. So I go to New York, and I visit some friends that I did an internship with, and I hop on a bus, and I drive down to... um, Washington, D.C. by myself, checking things out. I didn't tell my mom that I was going by myself. Um, I didn't tell anybody that. I, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I'm going to D.C., hopped on bus to bus, saw all these things, go back to New York, fly to Montana. And I remember one night that I couldn't sleep. I had this moment when I started asking myself, like, what am I going to do? Where am I going with my life? I, I know I, maybe I'll go work in tech. Maybe I'll go do this. I had no idea. But I knew that God kept tugging on my heart. Um, My friend went to sleep. It was probably close to midnight at this point. And I just was like, okay, I'm going to go outside. And so I go outside in Montana, and I look up at the stars. And I feel like God said to me, if I can create this, imagine what I can do with you. Imagine what I can create with your problems, with your issues, with what's going on right now. And in that moment, I felt like God was there with me. I felt comforted. I felt peace and Fast forward a couple years, this year, 2023, it's been a weird year. It's been a year of like, I love ministry, I love doing what I'm doing, but something bad happens. Another person finds out they have cancer. Another person finds out this. Early on, um, Taylor's dad finds out that he has to have major heart surgery. And so, crazy moment where obviously his daughter's worried and I'm worried about his daughter, and we're trying to figure that out. And so she goes home, and shortly after that, what happens? Our good friend Kristen passed away right here at Central. And so what we did is we said, man, let's get away for two days. And so we drive over to Fresno and visit my cousin Mario. And in that time, we'd never been to Yosemite. And so we're like, let's go to Yosemite. Let's go see what this is all about. And we go through the tunnel view. It's the most beautiful thing you ever see. But Taylor and I are having lunch in the middle of this meadow, looking up at Al Capitan. And I see this giant slab of rock. And I feel like God says to me again, if I can create this, imagine what I can create with what's going on over there. In that moment, in the beauty of creation, I seen God. But it's also in that moment that I'm experiencing difficult circumstances. And so the believer also can see God in the midst of difficult circumstances. If you're familiar with the story of Job, Job is this man who goes trial after trial after trial, thing after thing, and he experiences things kind of like my mom. My mom gets a lot of things that happen to her. He gets hurt every other day. My sister adopted her inheritance, and so she gets hurt the alternating days. Um, But Job had it way worse, okay? He lost his family. He lost everything. Uh, And in the middle of this time, he says this statement that points to God. He says that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but may the name of the Lord be blessed. And it's to him that both the blessings and the trials are from God. It's in these moments that he understands the truth of what's happening before him. Maybe you know of the man Stephen in the Bible. Stephen is known as this guy who was the first martyr of the church. And as he's preaching the gospel, proclaiming, and people are persecuting him, they're stoning him to death, throwing rocks at him. It says that he saw 
the Lord in the middle of the clouds. And so even in the midst of all those hard things, including trials, we can see God. The third way that we can see God is in the acts of worship. And maybe some of you guys experienced that this morning. As Juan and the team are leading us in worship, you maybe felt a little bit different. Maybe in those moments you felt peace for the first time this week. Maybe in those moments you, you started to see who God is and what he's speaking to you. And maybe in those moments, if you're not a believer, you're wondering what's going on. But it's in these moments and these acts of worship that we look to God and we get to see him. And so while it has a present aspect to it, we have to understand that seeing God has a future aspect. And that is obviously when we get to see him in heaven, when we get to see him in his fullness. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in mirror indirectly, but when we will see but then we will see face to face. Now I know in parts, but then I know fully, just as I have been known fully. What's true about ancient mirrors in this text is that they used to be made from rocks and from old stones or from different things. And so when they would polish them fully, the mirrors would always kind of be dim and you wouldn't able to be fully see like who you are. And so you might not be able to put your makeup on right back then, you know. You might not be able to do all the things that you can do with a clear mirror today. But what this is talking about is that there will be a time where you see him fully. And that is in the future when we see him face to face. But the only way we do that, the only way we get to see him in that reality and stick with it and be in the kingdom forever is if we chase this life, this blessed life, this life that God asks of us. So the question would be then, how do we make steps towards a pure heart? And so I've got four ways that we get to do that. And the first one is that we pursue righteousness. Well, we learned about this just about a week or so ago, but this is an important one that we have to touch on. The way that we pursue righteousness is by pursuing Jesus, because life is done right the Jesus way. Why do I say that? Because if you're like me, you know that when you try to do it your own way, you always miss the mark. If you're like me and you tried to go find freedom, you only saw a little bit of it. If you're like me and you tried to get it done on your own, you realize that every single thing that I tried to do in my own nature, out of my own independence, was never what would satisfy my heart. But the Jesus way is the right way. My prayer for us today is Philippians 1. 9 through 11, it says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The meaning of filled with the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of righteousness deals with this products of righteousness in the same way that produce of a tree or a plant reflects the nature of that organism. Meaning if you plant an orange seed, you're going to get an orange tree, right? If you plant an olive, you should get an olive. But when we try to do things our own way, what we may know is that when we seek freedom, but we try to do something out of independence, we don't always get it. But when you seek freedom from Jesus, when you seek hope from Jesus, you experience those things because he's the creator of it. You, out of your own creation, can't determine what hope is. 
You out of your own creation can't establish what freedom is because the creator is the one who designed it and is the one who gets to give it to you. But you have to receive that. And this is kind of a hard thing because the Bible's standard of human righteousness is the perfection of every attribute that God has, every characteristic that he has, every behavior, every attitude, everything that you can think of. And that is the standard. And this is the standard that Jesus measures our life to. And so if you're like me, this is hard because we've all messed up. Uh, by a show of hands in the room, are you, let's see, who is the imperfect person in this room? If you're not raising your hand, you got other problems, right? <laughs> or you just don't like to raise your hands. That's fine too. Uh, but we are imperfect people in progress. That's us at Central. And so Tim talked about this about a week ago. Some ways that we can find uh, and pursue righteousness is just like this. Righteousness is right standing with God. And all that means is that we are made right by coming to relationship with Jesus. We are made right by coming to relationship with God. And so we say yes to who he is. It's as simple as that. It's saying yes in a way that you, if you are married, you said yes to your significant other, right? You're saying yes to pursuing them, to loving them, to learning about them, to growing with them. And that's the same thing. You say yes to Jesus. That is the pursuit of righteousness and coming into relationship with him. You would never get to grow in a relationship with him if you never talked to him. And so maybe if you're like, hey, I try, but I just don't hear from God. Perhaps it's because you're not trying to talk to him. You're trying to talk to others or people who don't know him. And the second way that we can pursue righteousness is through right living on earth. And we have a right living on earth by pursuing the lifestyle that God intends. So the Bible gives us a clear picture on how to do that. It gives us these how-tos. It's literally the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those. Blessed are those. And look at the next words and live those ways to ultimately pursue righteousness. And what we have to understand is that we can't do this on our own. The reason I say my way is the wrong way because my way always got it wrong. Uh, John Calvin says this, We shall never be clothed with the righteousness of Christ except we first know assuredly that we have no righteousness of our own. Meaning that we can't live a right life if we don't pursue it, if we don't go after it and understand where it comes from. And Judah Smith says, Our righteousness doesn't depend on the present performance, but on Jesus' finished work. So righteousness is not what you do, it's not who you are, but it's dependent on who Jesus is, what Jesus has already done. And then we go and reflect that in the same way of a mirror today. We mirror his heart, his life. The Bible says that this is all made possible because of Romans 5.18. Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all, so also one righteousness act resulted in justification and life for all people. Meaning one trespass that was condemnation uh, was the way that Adam and Eve chose to operate out of independence. They were told one thing and they said, I'm going to go try it anyways. And look what happened. But in the same way, we can receive uh, righteousness, the justification of it, because of one act of what Jesus did. In that same way, one can condemn, one can justify in righteousness. And that's what we have to pursue. Uh, but when we pursue righteousness, we have to get our truth from somewhere, right? And so after we pursue righteousness, we have to understand what truth means. And what I've learned um, over my 31 years of life uh, is that truth seems to change. 
If you look at the internet, uh, trends are a thing that happen. Every single week, there's something new. There's something different that people are chasing, something that people are wanting. But what's true to truth is that truth never changes. It's always what it is. Uh, When you think of something that's pure, it's solely what it is. Pure gold. It's only gold. It's unmixed. There's no other elements. There's nothing else that's in the midst of it. It is purely gold. And so truth is purely truth. It doesn't change because of your circumstance, because of your feelings. And what I love is uh, that we all have different definitions of it. And so I asked a few of our students what they thought the word truth meant. And one of the definitions, they said, I think that truth is when belief and reality align. Another said, truth is something which holds up when put to scrutiny. Another student said, truth is the absence of what is wrong. But too often do we let our circumstances, our culture, our friends, our family, people that we love or things that we do dictate what truth is in our life. But our truth is not what we think it is sometimes. Uh, John Piper says this quote, and I love it because it describes how we operate sometimes. It says, my feelings are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define truth. God's word defines truth. My feelings are echoes and responses to what my mind perceives. And sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with the truth. When that happens, and it happens every day in some measure, I try not to bend the truth to justify my imperfect feelings, but rather I plead with God, purify my perceptions of your truth and transform my feelings so they are in sync with your truth. Truth is a question that we all unknowingly ask. What is it? What is truth? How do we get to truth? What does it mean? What do others think it means? And so then we start going on this whole rabbit trail and think that we found the truth because a whole group of people said that it's real. But truth doesn't change. Truth is found in scripture. And even people uh, in the biblical times ask this same question. Jesus is on his way to uh, hang on a tree for us. He's on his way to suffer, to do, endure all these things. And he has a moment with this man named Pilate. And Pilate asks him the same question. So Jesus says to him, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus said, You say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to truth, testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me, listens to Jesus. And Pilate asked the question, what is truth? That's found in John 18, 36. What is truth? Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, the will, the character, the glory, and the being of God. Evermore to point to the truth That truth is the self-expression of God. It's who he is. It's how he operates. It's everything that we desire, but everything that we've ignored at times. The biblical meaning of truth is that because the definition of truth flows from God and truth is theological in every way, shape, or form. And so Jesus talks about truth a few times, and so we're going to look at some of those. Uh, The first one is found in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is truth. Well, the only way we'll ever get to know what Jesus truly is is by getting to know him. 
Uh, we say this over and over again, is that you have to have a real relationship with him. That means talking to him, going on walks, asking him questions in a way that gets you to grow closer to him, opening up your Bible, diving into community, coming to church and hearing the word of God. And that's not the only way you experience God, but these are all ways that we as people can grow and know who Jesus is. And our hope is that you would find him in community, that you would find him in the word, that you would find him in prayer, and that you would love him even more. And as you do that, you'll understand this reality of John 8, 32, is that as you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so truth in its own nature brings freedom. And so maybe you've been trying to do things your own way for a long time. You've had moments where you're like, man, that was fun, but it all went away. Man, there was joy in that, but it never sustained. Man, I felt hopeful for the first time, and then it went away. Man, I, I thought I was on my way to healing, but then it came. But true freedom is found in Jesus. And so maybe your way wasn't working. Your way wasn't sustaining. I'll tell you one thing that's true to my life is as soon as I started chasing after truth, the truth that Jesus brings, is that anytime something difficult would happen, I went straight to him. I felt greater joy. I felt greater blessings. I felt greater hope. I felt the truth of what Jesus says, and that is where I found freedom. The third way that we see truth said is in John 17, 17. It says, sanctify them in the truth, and your word is the truth. And the simple way of saying that is the word is truth. The Bible. The Bible is our clearest way to understand what truth is. It's the clearest way we get answers. Uh, I love what the Bibles do for us. You flip all the way to the back and you want to know what God says about purity or, or righteousness or hope or joy. It tells you all the verses that you can go back and it talks about those things. I believe in the word so much that um, this last year I decided that I was going to bless some of our youth volunteers. Our youth volunteers are people who give their lives uh, in the season of their life to invest in students. Uh, we've got Taylor, we've got Justin, John Luke and Brandy in the room and they come every week, twice a week. I'm going to brag on them for a second. I didn't do this before, but they do this on their own free will. No one forces them. No one pays them. No one says, hey, you have to do this. But they believe that Jesus can change students' lives. And so they give their time to them. They give their moments to these people. And they're here just as much as I am. They're here pursuing students and helping them find and follow Jesus. And so as a gift to them, I decided, man, I want to give them a, a physical Bible. And I said, hey, this is a gift to you. Uh, I would recommend that you put it in your car, and I call it a car Bible. The reason I gave them that was that there's always times when we go to places, right? And maybe we're waiting for an appointment, or maybe we're waiting for this, unless you're always late. Uh, then you are coming in last second, last straw. But for some of us who are always on time or early, uh, you have moments to just sit and decompress. And I told them to just take those moments and encourage them to read the word, to get to know him more. Because what I've learned from my life is that the word is always what's given me rest. The word has always brought me joy. I've never left a time of reading the Bible and said, oh, my life sucks. I left, the, I left reading and saying, man, it's possible. Man, he's faithful. Man, love does exist. And so the truth is the word. 
I love one of the moments in San Francisco. Uh, I walked up to this man, and his name was Jared. And Jared asked us the question. He said, do you guys actually read the Bible? And he begins to tell us a little bit of his story, uh, uh, that he woke up from a coma. And that was the first time that someone handed him a Bible, and he opened it up, and he was reading it. And from that moment on, God started showing up in power, doing things in his life, because he read the word. And that moment was just a, a moment of him saying, man. And so now when I talk to people, I tell people, I dare you to read your Bible. I dare you to do it. I dare you to read the word of God. Because then you're going to want to pray more. You're going to want to live more obedience. You're going to want to do more things. The word is truth. And so as we pursue righteousness, we understand truth. What happens in the middle of our truth is that we start to realize all the things that we did and how bad they were, right? We start saying like, oh, I was supposed to live this life, but I chose this and we feel some shame. How many of you guys have ever felt before like, oh, I can't go to church? If they knew what I did, if they knew who I was, I would never be accepted there. Well, that's what shame does. That's what insecurity does, but that's not the joy of following Jesus. The joy of following Jesus is living this life of repentance. It's understanding what real repentance is. And repentance is supposed to be a joyful thing. And so what does that look like? Well, uh, over the last few years, I got to do missions work all across uh, the U.S. And one of the things that we did is we helped people uh, find freedom by repentance. And repentance is literally just turning from what you were doing and going after Jesus. And so we have these things uh, from YWAM called the four R's. And it's kind of just a module that you could use to pray and repent of the things that you were doing and walk in the fullness of who God is. And so the first thing uh, that we do in repentance is we simply repent of the sin. That's the easiest thing we can do. And we just call it what it is. Sin is sin. For some of us, uh, this might be a heart attitude, like bitterness or rebellion or pride. For others, it might be a behavioral thing like alcohol abuse or immorality or stealing. Or some of us, it might be a feeling that we get like rejection inferiority, or even shame. One of the things that I'll be honest with that I've struggled with my whole life is this fear of being misunderstood. I don't even know why. And a lot of it roots from just the fear, the, this thing that makes me think that I need to seek your approval. I need to, let, I need to have people tell me, oh, like, good job, you're doing right. You've done this good. And so my heart always goes to like, well, what if they don't know what my heart is really expressing? And so I have to do this, honestly, all the time just to get away from that. And so the repent part of the sin is, God, I say, God, I repent for living a life that looks to value what others say about me. I repent for looking for the approval of man. I repent for living that life, and I don't want it anymore. And the Bible makes it clear. It says, Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come. And so I repent of it. I say, approval of man, fear of being misunderstood, out of my life. And the second thing I do is I receive God's forgiveness and cleansing. So repent and receive. And in this moment, you get to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit to help strengthen you, to guide you in your thoughts, your behaviors, and your emotions. 
This is the moment that is so awesome because that's why he went to the cross. So you wouldn't experience shame. So you would know that you're forgiven. So that you would know that there's hope. And Psalms 103 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's forgiveness. That's why repentance is a joyful thing, is that he's not going to look at you and be like, remember that one time? Remember you did this? He's not going to point fingers. He's going to say, oh my gosh, this is how I created you, to be free, to be full of love, to be full of joy, to be full of the things you desired. And the Bible is clear in 1 John that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. So we repent, we receive God's forgiveness, and then we get to rebuke the devil. The, the rebuke aspect of this prayer is something that Jesus even did in his own life. He basically told the devil to get out of there, right? And this is a moment where we get to understand the reality that we have authority over those things. When Jesus died on the cross for your forgiveness, when he died on the cross for your hope, for your joy, for all those things, that means he gave you authority over those feelings of shame, feelings over those uh, um, feelings of bitterness or for anything that would hold you from following him. He gave you authority. And in Matthew 4, 10, Jesus said to Satan, he said, away from me, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him and only him. And James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so we get to sit there. And so I'll say this. I'll say, devil, you don't have a say in my life. You no longer can tempt me, tempt me with this uh, approval of man. You can no longer tempt me with this idea that other people uh, have a say in what I'm doing with my walk with God or anything like that. So I, I repent, I receive, I rebuke. And then the last thing I do is I replace all those lies that I've been believing with the truth of God's word. You see, Jesus did that for it is written, right? He says, for it is written. And so what I do is I declare all my old attitudes and actions and emotions dead and paid for. And I fill my heart with truth. I look at what the Bible says about those things. The Bible tells me that I am loved because God created me. The Bible tells me that I'm a son of Christ. The Bible tells me that I'm forgiven. And all these truths I look to as a result. And so I simply repent of the sin, receive God's forgiveness, rebuke the enemy, and replace all of the lies with truth. Those are the four R's that are helpful tool as you go throughout your week. And as we live this life of repentance, the next action step is an action step. And it's simply to engage in obedience. What's true about the scriptures is the Bible says that if you love me, meaning Jesus, if you love him, you will keep his commands. This is found in John 14. 15. And what I believe about obedience is this, is that simple obedience changes history. And what do I mean by that? I mean that the simple times that I started to read the word like God asks is when everything changed. The simple moments of when I looked to who God is or, or started doing what God was asking me to do is when I experienced him more. 
God said, go to New York. And I went to New York. God said, uh, do this YWAM thing. I did this YWAM thing. God told me to come back to the Bay Area and pursue this job here at Central. And every single time I said yes, every single time I obeyed, I seen God come through. Uh, one way that we can know that we're not engaging in obedience is just by simply evaluating our life. And so my question to you guys uh, is that how many of you guys wake up by way of an alarm? Your alarm, you set one at night. Um, well, there's three people and three responses to an alarm. The first one is, is the person who gets up and just goes, right? They get up, they start brushing their teeth, they start getting their coffee, they go for it. And the second person just lets it keep going. It rings and rings. Ah, ah, ah. But for some reason, they can ignore it, right? There's always that person. Uh, I learned that in community. I lived in a big blue house with 20 people. Okay, and there was at least three people who every morning they would set their alarm at four o'clock, four fifteen, four thirty, four forty-five, and then it would keep going all the way till they actually woke up at eight. Uh, but then there's the third person, the third person who clicks the snooze button. How many of you guys click the snooze button in the morning? The snooze button is a real thing. Okay, let me tell you about the snooze button. The snooze button is your own way of saying, oh, I'll start my day a little bit later. I'll start my day a little bit when I want to, when I feel right, when I feel like I want to brush my teeth, when I feel like the day is going to begin. The snooze button is a button that delays. And I feel often in our lives, we hit the snooze button on what God's asking us to do. I feel like often there's moments where God says, you're supposed to go share this love with somebody. Snooze button. I'll do it when I can. Or God says, hey, I want you to go start a Bible club on your campus. Snooze button. Someone else will do it. Hey, I want you to go to church today. Snooze button. I had a long weekend. I had a party yesterday. I had a thing going on. I'll go next week. Snooze button, snooze button, snooze button. And too many times we do that with things that God has asked us to do. Read the word. I'll hear it at church. Go to prayer. I'll ask someone to pray for me. Live a life of obedience. I can't do that. I'm not pure. That's for someone else. I'll let Pastor Tim, I'll let someone else do this and I'll just sit there and, and enjoy. But God wants so much more for us. God wants us to engage in obedience. And here's what's true about passivity. Hitting the snooze button is just another form of disobedience. I once heard someone say that delayed obedience is disobedience. And that's just another way of saying, oh, it's okay. I don't feel like God wants me to do that. I don't know if I'm supposed to. I don't know if I should. But the one thing that is true is that we know that he knows that he, we love him based on what? How we obey his commands. You'll never feel loved by someone if you tell them, hey, we have a party at three o'clock. It's my birthday, right? Um, our birthdays are every year. And so you got to know that the birthday's coming. Uh, but there's always that one person who says, oh, I'm going to go at three o'clock to get the gift. Or I'm going to go at this time to do that. 
And they show up late or they, they do this or they do that or like perhaps like the last minute they invite you to something important in their lives. You don't feel super loved if you know that to be true. And that same is true that for when we hit the snooze button on what God's called us, as he's saying, you're just delaying. You're unsure of who I am. You're unsure of what I'm doing for you. And the way that we live the blessed life is this prayer that I have for us in Psalms 119. It says, without delay, I hurry to obey your commands. And this is how we live that blessed life. Luke eleven twenty eight 28 says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. James 1, 25 says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it is not, or not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will feel blessed in what they do. And Jesus commands us to live this life of obedience. And we do it by obedience of faith, by understanding what he has for us, understanding what he's called us to do, and that faith produces obedience to his commands. My heart today is not to say, hey, if you haven't been pursuing righteousness, then you're far too gone. If you've never really understood what truth is, then it's too late. If you've never really repented of what you're doing, then, oh, you might as well leave this service. Oh, if you never engaged in um, obedience, then, uh, well, you might as well just sit here each week. No, my heart is to say that today is the day that we say we want this. For some of us, we've been doing this for years. For some of us, we've been just finding out who he is and deciding if this is something that we want. But what's true to my life is that when I started living a life of obedience, everything changed. First Peter says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. I love that it says you've purified yourself by obeying truth. That's the way to a pure heart, by pursuing righteousness, by understanding what he's calling us to do, by repenting of all the things that kept us from him and saying, I don't want that. I'm turning the other way and I'm looking straight at him and I'm not turning back. I'm not justifying who I was. I'm not justifying what I did. But what I do know now is that I've been saved and that reality will change me. Uh, if you guys don't know my story, which I feel like many of you don't. We've got a lot of new people over the last few months. So I had a really hard moment in my life. My grandfather passed away and a good friend of mine passed away all in a matter of eight months. My whole life I said, I'll figure it out. I rejected the people who loved me. I was always insecure. I never told anybody. I was remaining confident, but really I was like, man, what is going on? Like, this world talks about love. This world talks about faithfulness, but I don't see it. And then I had a friend who came up to me and he said, hey man, come to church. Come check this out. And he looked at me and he, he knew everything I've ever done. He heard my mouth at school. He, told, he knew the things that I would say to people at school. But he just said, come on, come check it out. And so I did. And as I started pursuing Jesus, as I started understanding his truth, as I started repenting of the ways that I was and engaging obedience, I started to feel joy. And I'll tell you what, for 12 years, I've never felt more. For 12 years, I've never experienced hope more. For 12 years, I said, look at him daily. I see what he's done. And if we just told all the stories of this room, the miracles, 
There's a miracle on the stage, just the ability to get a visa and come, right? The ability of to see people healed and restored from addictions. And he's not done. He's not done with me. He's not done with you. He's not done with your daughter, with your mom, with your sister. He's not done with your kids. But the only way we really experience the blessed life, the only way I'll tell you right now, is by pursuing Jesus. You'll never find it any other way. Let it be said. But also let it be said that today, whether you were doing it or you weren't, that on this day, student youth takeover, hearing the stories of what God does in, in young people's hearts, encouraged ours. So we said, man, I'm going after him. I'm pursuing righteousness. I'm going to understand this truth. I'm going to repent and I'm never going to go back. And I'm going to engage in obedience. For some of you, you guys have maybe never done that. You've never received Jesus into your life. And we want to give you guys an opportunity to do that. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. But in simplicity, giving your life to Jesus is just saying, man, I want to know you. I want to grow in a relationship with you. I want to see who you are. I want to chase after your truths, your freedoms, and I'm going to give my life to you. That doesn't mean that things are easy. 12 years later, I'm still experiencing hardships. I'm still insecure. I'm still wondering these things or that things. But man, I tell you, I have hope. I have joy. I have a family that loves me. I have a community that calls me to a higher standard. I have people who push me closer to Jesus just by simply saying yes. So with everybody's eyes closed and their heads bowed, if you've never received Jesus, if you've never had this moment where you said, man, I'm all in, I want you, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. With everyone's eyes closed and head bowed, if that's you, can you raise your hand saying, I want Jesus in my life. I want to pursue him wholeheartedly. 